Boker Tov, good morning. Welcome everyone to the Aliyah Day. Glad that you're with me from wherever you're watching, all over the Fruited Plain, Baruch Hashem. A wonderful day it is. Lots of beautiful things happening all over the world today that are beautiful and precious. And uh, here in our neck of the woods, one of our wonderful synagogue families is uh, having a baby. So, Baruch Hashem. Mazal Tov. We'll make uh, announcements about that later, but it's uh, it's a wonderful and wonderful, wonderful Baruch Hashem, and it's just a blessing. I learned yesterday that one of our other families is now with child, and so just all this uh, proliferation going on, it's a beautiful thing. Baruch Hashem. So, welcome. We are on Parsha Beshlach, and this is from the, uh, the, second, uh, the second Aliyah, that is. <clears throat> and we are in chapter 14, and the second Aliyah begins in verse 9. So, let's get started. Before we uh, begin with that particular verse and start the Aliyah, I want to read something that uh, from yesterday's Aliyah, from um, Pituke Chotam. It's very interesting, commenting on the verse, uh, chapter 14 and verse 2, which says... Uh, speak to the children of Israel and let them return and encamp before Piharot, between Migdal and between the sea. Before Baal Zephon, you shall encamp opposite it by the sea. And so this is what it says in this Sefer about this particular uh, uh, verse. It says, as we know, the redemption of the Jewish people in Egypt was through a spiritual force referred to as the mother of children. So, this is a spiritual force that delivered us, so to speak. Speaking of deliverance, we have a baby that's about to be delivered here very, very shortly. And so, talking about deliverance is a, uh, by the mother of children is uh, an appropriate topic. How about that, Baruch Hashem? Well, <clears throat> um, we have to go back to a couple of a couple of drashas back. I'm trying to remember which one it was exactly. Shir Hashirim. It was during during our Shir Hashirim Megillah study. And I mentioned in the drash at that time, I could look it up here in a minute. But anyway, uh, I mentioned that the concept, as I've said many times before, that the concept of being born again uh, is not a Christian concept. It is not something that is uh, new, uh, it was uh, in terms of, uh, of New Testament new, it is not something that the Messiah introduced that was somehow foreign to Jewish thought, by no means. The concept of being born again goes all the way back to the redemption from Mitzrayim, the, uh, the redemption from Egypt. And so therefore... What we learn at the redemption is that we are born again vis-a-vis the Torah, who, when we came out of, uh, of Mitzrayim, the Torah gave birth to us. We were born again. How were we born again? By the Torah. Now, uh, in our Western way of thinking, since the 4th century, since the creation of, of uh, you know, a couple of different religions, Many people think that there is a dichotomy, that there is a, a distinction between Yeshua, between the grace of Yeshua, 
and the Torah law. You either have Torah law or you have Yeshua, but you don't have both. That's the exact opposite. The reality is that Yeshua is the living Torah. He is the sapphire tablets. He is the mother of children, so to speak, right? Uh, He is the Torah. So here it says, As we know, the redemption of the Jewish people in Egypt was through a spiritual force referred to as the mother of children, which brings about a redemption for all. This force refers to the Torah. So the mother of children, the force by which and through which we were redeemed, is the Torah. That's what it's saying here in this Sefer. So, this force refers to the Torah upon which Teshuvah is dependent. Why did Yeshua set about, walk about the land, encouraging people to repent for the kingdom of God was near? Why was repentance? Why was Teshuvah central to his message? Why? Because he was the living Torah uh, giving uh, rebirth, bringing us out of spiritual Mitzrayim and bringing us to salvation. That's why. Why? Because Teshuva is a, uh, a not just a ne- necessary component, but rather it is uh, it is a essential an essential component to being born again. You cannot be born again if you do not have sincere Teshuva. So it says here. In this verse, Hashem is instructing Moshe to warn the Jewish people to fully repent with all their heart and soul. Otherwise, especially now that Hashem wishes to split the sea before them, how can they prove to pass through a place of total judgment? How can we pass through a place of total judgment? The water of the sea represents judgment in the same way that it represents judgment with respect to Noah and the flood. So how can we pass through judgment if we have not yet been uh, born again, if we have not yet made full tshuva. So it, so it, we continue, it says here, um, uh, how can we pa- not, pass through total judgment? Hashem told Moshe to say to the people, if they fully repent with all their heart and soul, then they will be able to stand firm. Hashem will split the sea for them, and they will enter and exit the sea unharmed. For Hashem will uh, accompany them and help them. But if they do not repent, God forbid, then the sea is a place where the attribute of judgment rules, and it will level accusation against them. Tell them to be careful to repent with all their heart and soul, because Hashem knows a man's thoughts. He knows whether a person's teshuva is sincere or not? This is why. So the 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 this is why I should say uh, the sea itself represented the national mikvah of the of all of the people, and the only way in which that mikvah became a blessing for us is if we made sincere teshuva. What is sincere teshuva? Well. Uh, we look at, uh, as, as Shlomo Arroyo uh, brought, brought down just the other day, he was talking to me about the, the mikvah and the word uh, tevila, um, where, where we talk about toveling, where we go into the water and we actually immerse. The mikvah is the pool itself, but to the mikvah, of the, the mitzvah rather of tevila, the mitzvah of, of going into the water, we can rearrange the letters of that uh, word to mean self-nullification. 
In other words, when we go into the water, when we immerse in the waters of the mikveh, we are nullifying self, and which is why the apostles talked about when we come up out of the water, we are now resurrected, as it were, with Mashiach. Why? Because when we go into the water, we do, in fact, die. We nullify self, and we're resurrected again to a new life. And it's only in that uh, situation where we can really and truly avoid judgment. So what we're saying here is this, what, this is what it means to die to self and to be born again into the uh, Amuna of Hashem. That's what we're talking about. This is why we had to come to the Red Sea. This is why Hashem brought us to this place. It wasn't just so that he could destroy the armies of Israel. Certainly that was a uh, a big part of it. But Hashem and his plan for, for all of us, very often his ideas are multifaceted. So in this case, bringing us to the Red Sea, to the Yom Suf, to the Sea of Reeds, accomplished several things, one of which, of course, was destroying um, Pharaoh, and in so doing, removing us from a attitude of slavery. We, we no longer are torn between two masters. We only have Hashem. The other reason was to display His glory, to display His greatness, and even, as the sages have said, to reveal Himself. But one of the other reasons is coming to this place was the only way that we could nullify ourselves, that we could actually submit to his will and completely and utterly uh, remove any sense of self that we have and give ourselves over to his mastery. So the Red Sea. Uh, this, by the way, the crossing of the Yom Suf, I wanted to point out, uh, happened on the seventh day of uh, this event. So this is why the Torah tells us that we should have a solemn assembly on the first day of Pesach, and we should have a solemn assembly on the seventh day of Pesach. Why the seventh day? Because the seventh day of Pesach celebrates the crossing of the Red Sea. All right, the second Aliyah. Egypt pursued them and overtook them and camped by the sea. All the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and army by Piathroth, before Baal Zavon, Pharaoh approached, and the children of Israel raised their eyes, and behold, Egypt was journeying after them, and they were frightened. The children of Israel cried out to Hashem, and they said to Moshe, Were there no graves in Egypt that you took us to die in the wilderness? What is it that you have done to us to take us out of Egypt? Is this not the statement that, that we made to you in Egypt, saying, Let us be, and we will serve Egypt? For it is better that we should serve Egypt than we should die in the wilderness. So Moses, Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Stand fast and see the salvation of Adonai that he will perform for you today. For as you have seen Egypt today, you should not see them ever again. I want to point out something here because as we're talking about this uh, instance in uh, crossing the Red Sea and then later... As we are talking, Sleeka, sorry about that. As we are talking later about um, uh, the the sin of the golden calf, there is some discussion, quite a bit of discussion in Jewish literature, in which we like to blame the Arab Rav. What's the Arab Rav? The Arab Rav are all the converts who came out of Egypt, 
And the sages and centuries past have liked to cast all the blame on the Arab Rob. Well, the Arab Rob are the ones who led us astray. The Arab Rob are the ones who um, caused us to dance over the golden calf. If it wasn't for them, we wouldn't have sinned. All this kind of stuff. I don't. Uh, I respectfully disagree with that because I've always think that it is extremely detrimental uh, not to take personal responsibility. And whenever we start to get in a situation in which we blame others for our own failures, uh, that, that is loto, that is no good. When we start to, to say, well, we didn't succeed because somebody this, no. Uh, if you'll ever, you'll notice one thing about tr true, real leaders who make real difference in the world. And one thing that they uh, have in common is they do not pass the blame. They will. Uh, they don't take the credit, and they accept the blame. And so, in this particular instance, as much as one might want to talk about the era of Rav and how they may or may not be doing good or may may be doing bad, the Torah makes it clear that in this instance, the very first uh, inkling of a lack of amuna comes not from the era of Rav, but it says Bnei Yisrael, children of Israel, which the sages understood to be. Uh, part of the uh, part of the group of, of of Israelites who were faithful to the covenant. In other words, point being is everybody has their own moments, and we should just take personal responsibility. Sometimes our faith is strong, and sometimes it's not. Which is one of the reasons why we need each other, because when your faith is weak, mine might be strong, and so you you need me, and vice versa. Sometimes my faith is weak, and I need you to encourage me. We all need each other, and when rather than blame one another for our failures, we need to accept our failures. This is what it means, by the way, part of what it means anyway, to self-nullify. Because if we're walking around blaming others for our own failure, we have not self-nullified. And we're still saying, well, there's really nothing wrong with me. It's really somebody else. I'm still okay. I'm, I'm great. If it, if it wasn't for this other person... Blocking my success, I would, of course, be successful all of the time because I'm awesome. That when you start blaming others, that's essentially what you're saying. Instead of saying, you know what, I, I, I failed, that's okay. And as I, I've used this example many, many times before, but, you know, uh, Thomas Edison was trying to create the light bulb. He had 10,000 failed attempts. 10,000 failed attempts, literally. And people said, to him sometimes. Didn't you feel bad about all those failures? And he said, what are you talking about? I just found 10,000 ways of how not to make a light bulb. So he turned his failure into success. All right, so looking here at verse 10, going through uh, a uh, few connections here. This is a connection to Purim, which I find interesting. That it, we our, our our Megillah of Esther, uh, there's a connection between Esther and and Shemot. The, again, the sages were right. The sages understood that there was a, a connection spiritually between the events that happened in the book of Esther and what happened in Shemot. So it says here, Pharaoh approached, literally brought near. So let's look at the connection here. It says the text employs. The transitive grammatical form, which ordinarily requires an object, okay, because it says Ufaro Hikriv. Rashi explains that Pharaoh brought himself near with great enthusiasm, marching at the front of his army just as he had promised. He was so delusional 
and that he really thought that he was going to defeat uh, God and defeat the Jews, that he himself was at the very head of his army marching. So it says here, But Rabbi uh, Rabbeinu uh, uh, Bachia in the Midrash offers a different interpretation. Pharaoh brought Israel closer to God. How? Well, it says here, his preparations for war accomplished more than a hundred days of prayer and fasts. For when the children of Israel saw the Egyptians pursuing them, they raised their eyes and praised to God. This is from Shemot Ravah. Now, how does this connect to the Purim story? Well, we read in the commentary to Esther that when Ahasuerus gave the ring of authority to Haman, the sages say that that transfer of the ring did more than all the, the multitude of prophets and prophetesses that Hashem had sent to, to Israel. In other words, for all of these decades, Hashem had been sending prophets and prophetess, uh, uh, prophetesses to Israel to encourage them to make shuva, and that we didn't listen to any of them. And But then, when Hashem... Uh, caused Haman to rise up and receive the ring of authority, which would lead to the edict to eradicate Jews, suddenly we become Zadokim. And so what happens here at the sea? After all that Moshe and Aaron had tried to do to encourage the people, to and all the plagues that Hashem had brought upon Egypt, and all the prayers and all the fasting had gone in, they still didn't have Muna. They still were not crying out to God with their whole heart. So what did Hashem have to do? He had to raise up Pharaoh in order to do what? In order to bring them to the place of pure teshuva. And so this brings us to an unfortunate reality as we understand in our lives that we very often, and I wish it wasn't the case, but all of us are guilty of this. It very often requires uh, some type of hardship, some type of constraint, some type of tragedy, shalom, in our lives in order to spur us on to greatness. We have to be facing death sometimes. We have to be facing loss. We have to be pushed up against the wall before we will awaken from our slumber and pursue God. And I wish it wasn't the case, but Hashem uses these moments very often just like we were backed up against the Red Sea. Which is why we should strive to continue every day to pursue God and not have to be backed into a corner. But unfortunately, too often this case, and listen, I, I can tell you from experience, this, is, this happens uh, to me. And sometimes it's not because we are not, uh, because we're, we're spiritually lax. That's not necessarily the case. But sometimes in, we're, we are, are pursuing God and we love God, but, you know, we're, we're kind of comfortable in our own setting and we're not really ready to step out of the proverbial boat and walk on water and take that next step for God and do things that are, um, you know, uh, challenging and significant until Hashem puts us in a position where we're inspired to do so. Okay? It's kind of like... Um, uh, when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. It was, uh, for the Japanese, it was a great success. They had all but destroyed the Pacific Fleet of the United States. But there were Japanese leaders who were concerned. 
Because up until this time, America had a policy of staying out of the war in Europe. And, uh, you know, they, they were pacifists, basically isolationists. And, uh, you know, America had the power to really change the tide of World War II. And the fact of the matter is, had America not been involved in World War II, most likely Germany would have uh, won in Europe, and most likely Japan would have continued to be a, a, a power in the Pacific. And so America, you know, would have been America. So with the Japanese leader were concerned that, that through this act, they had awakened a giant, which in fact was true. Because of the horrific attack that cost nearly 3,000 American lives and uh, nearly destroyed our entire Pacific fleet in Pearl Harbor, because of that one act, America rose up and we brought the war to Europe and we brought the war to the Pacific Ocean and we utterly defeated both Germany and both Japan. Uh, obviously, we had allies, but, but, but really, uh, it was our power that really defeated those two countries and we, de we devastated them. And, and, but it took that great tragedy this is the point. It's unfortunate, but it, that's what it took. It says here in the Kehol Tumash, it says, uh, commenting to this, it is often the presence of opposition. And again, I want you to pay attention. These are wonderful life lessons. And sometimes we need to be reminded uh, of these issues because none of us like opposition. None of us like trouble none of us like uh, constraint but very often it's the very thing that Hashem uses to press us on the greatness so it says it is often the presence of opposition that awakens our very deepest reserves of energy similarly whenever we are confronted with a challenge we should view it as an opportunity for spiritual growth rather than try to avoid it Comfort and, and contentment can cause us to lose sight of priorities, weakening our sense of urgency and our divine mission. Okay? Physical or spiritual adversity can shock us, shock us out of this indifference, undermining our self-assurance and affording us the opportunity to advance our relationship with God by breaking through the obstacle. I can I can attest to you that uh, that everything good that has happened with our synagogue and with our movement, whether it be this building or the mikvah house or many other things that I can think about, everything that really really good and really really substantial that has happened to us has been born out of adversity, has been born out of opposition. Uh, you know, has been has things have been put in our way to cause us to make a move. You know, before we bought this building, for instance, we were we we knew for years that we needed a building. We were thinking about it, talking about it, wringing our hands about it, praying about it, looking at places here, looking places there. And uh we were thinking about this one and looking at another one and all those kinds of things and kind of uh, back and forth, back and forth, weren't sure what to do. And then the, the, the situation presented itself where all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we, we needed a place to stay because the, the place that we, were, uh, we had been at presently was uh, no longer available. 
And uh, we didn't know what to do. It, it, was, it, was so, it was so sudden. Hashem orchestrated it to be so sudden and out of the blue that all of a sudden we're like, oh my gosh, you know, we have uh, just a, a month or two left. And then now nobody's going to do. And so suddenly we had an army behind us and we had the ocean in front of us. And so there was nothing left to do but be like Nakshon and just run for the water. And here we are. It was the best thing that ever happened to us. But it was born out of adversity is the point. Something else, another comment here to, to K.L. Tumash, it says, uh, talking about this whole thing, God commands us to journey forth. This is really a, uh, really a, a continuation of, um, uh, of a thought that I was sharing in the drosh just on Shabbat. Before, let me, before I read this, let me, let me share this insight from Rabbi Monk. I hope this is encouraging you because all of us face opposition, all of us face uh, obstacles, all of us face constriction, and we should look at those as opportunities. That we should take those punches and we should, uh, we should absorb the energy of those punches and use them as motivation to continue on in the fight. So it says here, there, let us be and we will serve Egypt. So it talks about the and Rabbi Monk brings down, there were actually four groups of people in Mitzrayim. There were four groups of people that had uh, different plans of action. One group said, you know what, let us drown ourselves in the sea. Another group said, let us surrender and return to Egypt. The other group said, let us wage war against them. And another group said, you know, let us cry out. So he says here, uh, the first group who were ready to throw themselves in the sea, the, these people wanted to uh, just, they wanted to assimilate. Okay? This is the, they wanted, you know what? This is too hard. This is too, oh, nobody could do this. Nobody could, could, could live this life. It's, it's too constraining. We, there's too many rules, you know, quote unquote. The, the kosher meat's too expensive, you know, all those lies. Let's just, let's just assimilate. It's be so much easier. We'll just assimilate and everybody love us. Life will be great. So this is uh, uh, akin to casting themselves into the waves. Others proclaim that Israel is condemned to be oppressed by the other nations. So therefore, we might as well just become uh, accustomed to slavery. The third group advocates violence against uh, their rights and freedom. They want to rise up and, uh, and fight a physical war. These are the zealots from the first century. And then uh, the last group, the fourth group, says, let's appeal to the conscience of the nations. Let's try to negotiate a peace. Let's try to uh, talk our way, make, make petitions, declarations, proclamations. And to all of them, Rabbi Monk points out, Moshe has a final reply. Hashem is watching over you. He is fighting your cause. As for you, let them go forth. That is, press on with faith and confidence in God. In other words, put it in God's hands. We have to do what we're called to do and let God take care of it. It says here, God commands us to journey forth that is, to continue our path to Sinai, to bring ourselves and the world around to us, around, excuse me, the world around us closer to the Torah. We have to continue to march forward, continue to move towards the, the call that God has called us to. Why? Because it helps to bring us to Hashem. But it's not just about us. 
It's about the world around us, bringing the world around us to Torah. One good deed at a time. It's often been said, how do you eat an elephant? How do you eat an elephant? Well, one, one could say, you don't eat an elephant because it's not kosher. <laughs> to wit, I would say, okay, how do you eat Leviathan? Baruch Hashem. Leviathan is parv. And the answer is one bite at a time. One bite at a time. You know, something we have to understand, and, and again, I, I, I just love this particular Aliyah time together this morning because it, um, it dovetails so preciously with, with the, what we were talking about on Shabbat with, with respect to the section of the Megillah Esther that we were reading. And that is that we have to be faithful in our calling. We have, you know, and here's the thing. The reason that we have to be faithful, as the Kael Tumash just said here, is that our, our Torah life, the life that we're living, and one could say the sacrifices that we're making, and uh, the, you know, we're pioneers in, in a, in a, in a in a, I would say a new movement, but really it's the revival of the first century movement, this, this Lapid Judaism, the enduring all the struggles, the, the, the rejection, the inconvenience, all these things that we endure, it's not just about us. That's the thing we have to understand. Your commitment to the movement is not just about you. It's about the world around you, and it's about the generations that follow you. And this is why it was so important for us to come to a point of the Shuva in front of the Red Sea, because crossing the Red Sea was not about the people that were there. Understand that at the end of the day, there was only two who actually walked in the Promised Land. There was only Caleb and Joshua who walked in. It was only Caleb and Joshua that walked in. We have to understand that it's not just about us. Also in the Kael Dumash, one final thing. It says, this is God's message. This is God's message. Now is the time for action. Sequestering oneself in a synagogue or a study hall as a personal fulfillment, as it may be, is not the proper approach. You know, Hashem, the reason that Hashem called you and chose you to do what you're doing, to listen to this lesson that you're listening to right now, to live this Lapid Jewish life, the reason He called you has nothing to do with you. I shouldn't say nothing. Certainly has something to do with you, but the real scope of it is not about you. This is why we're not allowed just to sit in the study hall in the synagogue all by ourselves, absorbed in our own study. But we have to venture forth. We have to go into the proverbial water, and we have to live this life. Why? In order to bring the world around us closer to Hashem. So it says there are people who need our help. They are waiting for their personal splitting of the sea. It is necessary to go out, to journey forth, and help ensure that the entire world join in the victorious march through the challenges of the Sea of Reeds towards the final and complete redemption. Towards the final and complete redemption. This is why it's so important to stay steadfast. It's in, uh, I'm going to come back tomorrow and talk about the love of God and and why you know how God so loved the world? You know, realize I, I'm gonna share it with you tomorrow. But the God so loved the world is actually right here. We're gonna find out tomorrow, right here, in Jewish commentary about this parting of the Red Sea. It's right there. Isn't that interesting?
that the whole God so loved the world concept, God's love, and the Red Sea, which has to do with the mikvah, which has to be has to do with being born again, is right here in our parasha, and that's exactly the context in which Yeshua spoke about it. He was talking about being born again, mikvah, and he talked about God so loving the world. Isn't that interesting? Wow, it's almost like they're connected or something. Well, we're going to find out tomorrow. But meanwhile, I want to encourage you to be steadfast. This is why it's so important that Hashem has called us to be the Abrahams, the Isaacs, the Jacobs, the Sarah, the Rebecca, the Rachel, the Leahs, the Esthers, the Davids, the, the, the Kephas, the Yaakovs of our generation. And that's why I think that the reason that people um, sometimes don't succeed and they ended up falling off the derrick, falling off the way, is because they've made it about themselves. They made it about themselves. And uh, the, here's the thing. When you nullify yourself, no long, it can no longer be about you. And when it's no longer about you, when it's something about when it's when it's about something bigger than you, wow. There's so many examples I could use in life. I mentioned Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison's pursuit was bigger than him. He had a vision of what the world could be with an electric light bulb. It wasn't about him. The Wright brothers developed flight. Why? Because they had a vision of what the world could be if we could just fly from one place to the other. It wasn't about them. The reason the, the generation in World War II was so fantastic and they were considered the greatest generation is because they went to war and they had left that isolationist mentality and it was no longer about them. It was about each other. And so therefore, this is why we can cross the Red Sea only if we make true teshuva and self-nullify and it really does become not about us but about what God wants to do through us and with us. End of our Aliyah today. Shalom and blessing to each and every one of you. Uh, hope you have a fantastic day. Do Hashem a favor. Do your friends a favor. Share this with them. Uh, send it to them. Share it. Like it. Like the video. Uh, because the more that people share it, the more people like it, the more people see it. And therefore, the more light that gets spread and the more holy sparks that get found. And that's what we're all about. So I love you all. I thank you so much for joining me. I hope that you're inspired and remain inspired until tomorrow. Shalom, shalom.